Welcome back to Chaos in Christ podcast. I'm your host, Alexi Felix, and I thank you for joining me today. And we are going to get into a topic that is very, very, very important. And uh, really, it's just a state of theology. Uh, So recently, this uh, past week, this week, Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research every two years runs a pulse check on the culture and their theology, essentially what they believe or do not believe about God. The results are concerning, but not surprising, at least for me. All of this centers around the fact that many in our culture and even in the church have adopted a postmodern philosophy that has widespread, even into the church, preaching out of the pulpits. Most from what I can see from experience in certain church gatherings and more obviously in the social media world, have geared towards a selfism with a permission of Christianity. Of course, when you believe that, God is actually learning as he goes and has to adapt to different circumstances that arise, then it is no wonder our culture is where it is today. A survey on thestateoftheology.com run by Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research shows that a majority of adults believe that God does indeed change and adapts to different circumstances. Here are these numbers. In the United States... For adults, just a widespread of adults, 51% agree that God can change, does change, and adapts to certain circumstances, while 32% of those adults disagree. In the evangelical world, those that are, I guess, identifying as evangelicals, they're Christians, 48% agree that God changes and adapts to certain circumstances while only 43% disagree. So on par with pretty much a general population, for the most part, within the church and out of the church, there's a belief that God changes and adapts to different circumstances. That is a very painful thing to hear. Yes, it doesn't surprise me, but it's still painful to hear because it just shows what what's happening, what, what the state of the world is, even in the church. There's a lot of implications to come from this. It just means that we are in a state of theological emergency and it is currently ensuing chaos on not only the culture, but also the church. If our view of God is that God changes and adapts to current situations or circumstances, then arguments about certain social, political, theological issues, they're on the table and they're easily refuted. Things like what we see today in our culture, homosexuality. If if God is changing and his mind is changing, because I think that's what we're talking about here. And let me just kind of clarify that. God, as far as what I believe Americans would even agree to, doesn't have a composite body. There isn't actual an arm, legs, or anything like that. He is spirit. So it's not the change of, of, of the body per se, right, that that we're talking about here. I think it's just simply the change of mind or the change of being able to kind of grow or learn, you know, just completely continuously enhance or, or I guess just in time is different than before. So things like homosexuality come to play and we understand that the scriptures in the Old Testament definitely speak against homosexuality. Though many people like to assume that the old, the New Testament doesn't say that either, but it does. The Apostle Paul definitely speaks about this a couple of times. 
We'll see it in Romans in chapter one. You can see the direct correlation of, of the judgment of God and how uh, in that judgment we have been turned over uh, to our ways. Men with men doing shameless acts and women with women uh, basically doing something that they were not meant to do and then incurring on themselves judgment due to their error. And then in Corinthians, you see a letter sent over to them uh, basically telling them that they once were homosexuals, once were sexually immoral, once were in a list of sins. Those are sins. And so we know that the scripture speaks against those things. But in our current culture, in our current context, believing that God's mind can change, well, then the argument would be, but look at how many people affirm homosexuality. Look at, look at the vast majority of, of the news media and the celebrities and even the churches these days that actually say this is not a bad thing. Love is love. And so the argument about homosexuality is completely thrown into the face and by people that would say they're Christians. I'm not making this up. Clearly, this is happening in the culture right now. Clearly, that, that you can even go on YouTube. You can, um, My apologies. You can even do Instagram, Twitter, and you can see people fighting for the cause of homosexuality and, and, and really basically claim that they're Christians all at the same token. This is not something I'm making up. This is a current reality. Transgenderism. Well, again, the same thing. Especially... When in, in a postmodern society, when we are riding off the coattails of our own personal truths and how we feel, the minute that my feeling is affirmed by another person and then that other person, and there's all of a sudden a community of people that affirm this feeling, they might even say, well, then if that's the case, it must be that God himself has given this to us, this very feeling. So me being a man feeling like a woman is justified and then vice versa. And then the other many genders that are out there apparently today. All that is is okay essentially because apparently God is just changing his mind and he's adapting to certain circumstances. Many would probably say, well, look at how many people are, are committing suicide and, and are, are depressed because they believe that they are transgender or homosexual and Ultimately, though, they don't feel like they'll be accepted or, or even told they might have to face the penalty of their ways if they die in this sin. And they don't want that sort of oppression. But God indeed changes and adapts to different circumstances. So what argument is there if this is the, the crux of our belief? If our theology is that, then guys, we are in a very dangerous trajectory Let's go down to abortion, another hot topic, which again, we just went through this, right? We've just had this with Roe versus Wade and it being overturned and the amount of people that would claim bodily autonomy that, that the Bible doesn't say anything about abortion and that abortion is actually healthcare. Coming up with strong man scenarios of of a woman who was either raped or about to die because of the pregnancy, the constant argument that they pitched their forks on for this. Well, with this theological framework and this belief system, 
This doesn't surprise me, which is why I can definitely see why those that will claim that they are Christian, quote unquote, will fight vehemently for abortion, which is murdering children in the womb, which our country has been doing for, what, 50 years and and then some. And I mean, it's infanticide. It's murder. And as believers, we know that to be true. We know that every life life has a right, that every life is made in the image of God. You read in the scripture in Psalms that God, before that baby was in the womb, was knitted and formed and had a plan because God has so sovereignly decreed it. And so what, what we're saying is we believe that God has changed his mind from his own word. And so, of course, these arguments will come up. Of course, that makes sense, right? God changed his mind. The circumstances are, look at what's happening. Times have changed. You know, the the problem would be is that a woman just got raped and is about to be conceived from said rape. And so God has to change his mind. There's got there's a circumstance here, right? He's going to adapt. He's loving after all. That's I I'm just hearing the arguments I've heard in the past and I'm I'm sure that's what they'll say. And I guess I have, my question would be this, how could you trust God? If he was capable of changing, adapting, the honest question, real honest question, how could you give your trust to a God who is capable of changing his mind, of having to adapt to circumstances? There's a lot of implications to that. If this is what you truly believe, you have to really think this through, because if that's the case and you have to question your very own salvation, how do you know if you actually are saved? How do you know the, the the forgiveness that is taught in Scripture, God hasn't just changed his mind about. Don't tell me because he's love. Because if we're going to stay consistent with this belief system, well, then it could change. It could adapt. He could so choose to, to be not what he's always been. Because he's somewhat learning and figuring things out and the circumstances on earth are catching him by surprise. And so therefore, there might be some things he could kind of think about and switch around. You see, the biggest thing I I, I can hear someone saying is, well, God is love. He wouldn't do that. And isn't it funny that we pick and choose what God is going to do and not going to do? Like there's some things that are immutable about God, but then, you know, these things, my sins, my pet problems, what those God tends to kind of work around with, you know, he's cool with this and that. And, you know, Jesus is all right with all that. No, 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 no. We have to stay consistent. If that's what we believe, well, then your salvation is very questionable. And the forgiveness that he's promised to have given you through his son, Jesus, well, that's questionable too. The promise of heaven when you die, which by the way, you're going to die, right? Like you are going to die. There's no if, and, or buts about it. That's an obvious reality for every single human being walking on this earth. There is a time for us to die. And so you're clinging onto a hope that because you're good enough or that you fashion yourself a Jesus, but and then you and then you do want to stick to certain truths of the Bible that you are guaranteed the promise of heaven. But that with the theology that apparently uh, uh, the most of us, even us Christians, uh, Christians who believe this, well, well, guess what? You don't have really a, a leg to stand on. God can adapt and change His mind. 
so to speak, on all that. You don't get to pick and choose. If he if he's a person who is deity, who is eternal, and does indeed change and adapt, well then there's no telling what that that can go to. And you don't get to, you're not the arbitrator. I mean, you're not the, the person to call the shots here. You don't get to tell God, okay, well, you know, this abortion stuff is cool. Homosexuality is cool. Transgenderism is all right. Um, but the other things that are about love and forgiveness and mercy, and then those that claim they're Christian, I need you to hold on to that. And when I die, heaven is promised to me. You don't get to do that. And it's something that we should honestly really sit down and wrestle with. We're not asking a lot of questions. We're not taking the time to, st- to study his word. We don't care about theology and doctrine, especially in our culture. Most people say, give me the gospel and Jesus. I don't care about this doctrine and theology stuff. Well, that is foolishness. And we can clearly see this right now that maybe we should care a little bit about doctrine and theology stuff. That's just me. But here's another uh, thought to my uh, to my mind as I'm just looking over this. And, and it's a question again that I pose. What would stop God who was capable of changing from what he is in eternity from simply becoming a cosmic tyrant? Again, I'm just trying to stay consistent with the fact that he can change and he can adapt to the circumstances here. Because think about it this way, especially if you're a Christian, right? Because again, 48% agree that God can change, that are evangelicals, that God can change and adapt to circumstances. Let's think about this for a second. He can change. How many times have you sinned? How many times have you fallen short? How many times have you repented? How many times have you struggled with the thought of going back to God, knowing that he will forgive you, knowing that he will show you love and mercy, knowing that in Christ he has forgiven that sin and that if you repent, he is faithful and just to forgive you, but struggle to go to him during that time because of the shame and the unworthiness that you felt because of your sin and thinking that God surely couldn't love me. Well, the back of your head You knew deep down that there's a truth that God actually does have mercy and forgiveness and that you're just wrestling with the shame of it all. Well, what if finally your worst nightmares came true and you you did it again, you sinned, you messed up, you looked at pornography, you slept around, you did those drugs, you lied, you cheat, you stole something, you dishonored your mother and father, you you, I don't know, don't care about your kids, your kids who don't honor your parents, I mean, there's a litany of things that that are sin and they break the commandments of the Lord. And we know that and we know we fall short. Well, well, here you go. You did it again. You did it for the final time. And guess what? Because God is so sick of you doing it over and over again. Well, he has decided to change his mind and adapt to the circumstance. And this time, in fact, you are going to suffer the wrath. And, And you know what? He is sick and tired of everyone not listening just completely consistently sinning. Imagine, imagine what Israel would have been. Nothing. For the many times that they re- they resisted and completely turned their backs on God. During the time when, in, in the, I believe, 1 Samuel, when they wanted a king because of Samuel's uh, kids not even following in the path that Samuel you know, lived, 
And so their their desire was to be like the nations, to have a king. And then Samuel being upset about that request, going to God, God saying they didn't reject you, but they rejected me. I mean, that is, I mean, how many times did Israel do something so foolish as idol worship or wanting a human king or or whatever that God should have just completely been done with them? But in his steadfast mercy and love, I mean, don't get me wrong. God brought punishment and consequences to Israel. He had wicked rulers come because he's a just God, but he never once destroyed the line of Jacob, the, the, the promise to Abraham. But imagine if, if what we believe today was, was that scenario. He, he would have wiped us out as he did in the flood with Noah. And he'd be just in doing so. And you, for the millionth, billionth time that sinned, well, guess what? He's, he's angry now. And now he will exact loyalty. He will get what he wants from you. And he becomes a cosmic tyrant. What does that leave you with? It leaves you with no hope, nothing. You have no hope. All you have to look forward to is death. And all we have here is nihilism. It means nothing. And so this idea of morality, even with the atheists who think that they can argue based on a, a standard of a morality, but still reject God, well, even their arguments make no sense. And us bumping into each other is just that, just, you know, plasma, just bumping into each other. There's no rhyme or reason. We are here by happenstance. And honestly, I mean, and God has turned into a tyrant. So whatever, anything goes, we are all going to hell anyway. We will all be under the tyranny of God if that is the theology that we believe in. What's to stop him? What's to stop him? He could leave you in your sins if he so decided. So I just want to lay out three points of teaching to leave with you. Uh, so much more can, should, and Lord willing will be said, not just by me in this podcast, but by pastors of this nation. They have a duty to doctrine and theology. I don't suppose any pastors listening to my podcast, but if you so are, hear me. as just a regular person who at one point thought he was called to be a pastor. We, you, you have a calling on your lives to herald the truth of God's word and to teach sound doctrine and theology. We need it. We have to have it. It is detrimental to our eternal souls that we are being taught sound doctrine and truth from the pulpit. For the scriptures to be exposited and preached verse by verse, enough with the, the health and wealth stuff, enough with your three steps to financial success, all based on God's principles, enough of the self-ism of being more than a conqueror because you are meant to be all that God desired you to be. All of that stuff is a part of the problem that what we have today. I came out of churches like that. I came out of a church like that. It was all about me and, and God choosing me and, and all the, we have to stop. We have to get back to the person of Christ. We have to get back to the sound theology. We need to get to the doctrine of God. That is what we need to study. The doctrine of God, who he is, what he is not, 
what he is, what he necessarily is. All of this is so vitally important that not only pastors, but now I'm talking to teachers, those who who have that calling, such as R.C. Sproul had, who did a great who did a great uh, job during his life here on earth. Very, very, very important. It, it, it's time that we, we we step up to the plate and honestly honor the calling of preaching God's word in and out of season. So in three points, uh, I'd like to lay down. Number one, God doesn't learn, right? Why? Because he is omniscient. God is omniscient. He knows all things. There is nothing that we are teaching him. There is nothing that is happening here on earth that God is looking into the world and saying, all right, what is Alexi up to? What? Whoa, how I did not see him doing that. But that is a very interesting and wise way of thinking. I'm going to adapt this and I'm going to expound on this as I learn about my creation through Alexi and now through Mike and now through Stacy and now through John and, you know, and so on and so forth. That is absurdity. God is omniscient. He is the creator. He is infinite and we are finite. We need to understand ourselves that we are just creatures and we hit a limit and our ways do not ever touch his ways. In Isaiah, it tells us that God is above us all. His ways are not our ways. His way of thinking is not our way of thinking. All right? He doesn't learn. He knows all. He is a vast of, of wealth of knowledge that we can ever comprehend to get. The Holy Spirit leads us in truth. The, the scriptures are his word, but it is it is way too vast. God is inexhaustible. And we are finite. What can he possibly learn from us? What can he possibly learn from, from the world and its circumstances? As if he doesn't know what's to come anyway. Our view of God is really skewed and small. He's grander than you ever can imagine. My words don't suffice. Seriously, nothing I'm saying, my the words and the language that I'm using to, to convey this they fall flat on their face. They're so weak and dumb that it's just a it's pathetic. But it's all I got because I'm a finite creature. But I hope I'm driving this point across to the best of my ability here. He doesn't learn. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 reads, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So do you suppose that the God who created the heavens and earth is somehow taking notes in eternity as we teach him some new things to help him in his work, to learn what would have, what would be, you know, what would have been known to him, which would put into question God being all knowing. Of course not. Job chapter 11, verse seven through nine reads, can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the almighty? It is higher than the heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. Do you hear that? Job is just doing the same thing I was just trying to do right now and trying to paint the understanding that you cannot tap into God in its inexhaustible way. And yet we go around saying, yeah, God changes. He does this. He adapts. And we say this with such certainty and absolute truth 
there's a, such an arrogance in us. How can you know? Can you find out the deep things of God? Except what he has revealed to us through scripture, which people do not study, though they claim they do. Though they, they walk around saying, well, I read the book and doesn't Jesus say this? It's such arrogance because you know they don't know anything. They don't read that book. They heard it from someone else. And maybe they read a little bit in the past, but not enough. Definitely not enough. They don't got it down like that. And those that are studying it and, and teaching it and expositing it are turned away by someone who is ignorant, who says, that's not, that's not the God I, I serve. It's not the God I read about. You didn't read about that God. You made it up. As the, as a, apparently, not only is the world making it up, which we should expect, but now the church, now those walking around saying that they're evangelicals, this is what they believe? I don't know. It's driving me nuts. This puts into perspective the finite mind of creatures, namely ourselves, that are just a little above the animals. God is inexhaustible and he needs not learn from his what he already knows. So who can instruct him? Number two, circumstances don't take God by surprise. They just don't. God doesn't need to adapt to the circumstances. Again, this will require us to believe that he isn't perfect and is capable to change. If that's what's happening. If God is not perfect and is capable to change, then of course, whatever circumstances taking place in our world will take it by surprise. But that is not what teaches what the scripture teaches. God is all-knowing. He is omniscient and he's immutable. Nothing takes the Lord by surprise. All things come to pass for what he has decreed and willed. He is sovereign. And in his providence, all things have been laid out. And nothing takes him by surprise. 2020, the year 2020, did not take the Lord by surprise. The uprising of Black Lives Matter and their rioting does not take the Lord by surprise. The fact that there's a Great Reset initiative, who a, a bunch of globalist leaders, oligarchs, looking to create a one-world government, a one rule party, totalitarian system globally, does not take God by surprise. He isn't adapting to it. He isn't shifting. He's not in some sort of dualism between the, the forces of evil and himself. He is God. He is fully in control. Because all that does with this, this false theology that we're believing these days, apparently, is put into question God's omniscience. Again, who can instruct the mind of God and who can even know it? Nothing takes him by surprise. He is sovereign, fully aware, and always knew, and knows from the beginning from the end. He stands outside of space and time. He is, is himself eternity, who was, is, and is to come. He is self-sufficient. Don't you understand that what, what you're doing is, by believing these theological frameworks of God being able to change and to adapt is simply taking a finite view of God and fashioning him to what you want him to be. That is the very uh, essence of idolatry, which is a commandment already broken. You are fashioning within yourselves a God that isn't real. But why do you do that? Why not just say there is no God at all? Because somewhere inside of us, we understand that we are created beings and there is a creator and we will be held accountable to him. 
But at the same time, you love your sin. You love, you love that. You just love darkness. You're in your, your sin, your, your ways are wicked. And the real true Jesus of the scripture exposes that and calls you to repentance and tells you to repent or perish. And we don't like that. And in a postmodern world, that's when the Christians come and they preach the gospel and they call you to repentance and you get angry because your truth is your truth. But my truth says yours is a lie. And if everyone's truth is their truth and you have to affirm mine's too, it relativism, postmodernism falls on itself. It is a faulty idea. It doesn't hold weight. It collapses on itself. And now it's trying to infiltrate the church and our theology. I'm not going to have it. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not uh, here for it. I'm going to tell you the truth and I'm not going to live by lies. This is not what we're called to. God is not taken uh, by surprise from circumstances. So therefore, God doesn't need to adapt to anything. God is making everything come together. And even in the, in the wickedness of things, he still turns for his good, for his purpose and his will. He's not adapting to it. He knew it all along. And in his wisdom, again, I'm too finite to truly comprehend, so I'm not going to pretend I can explain it to you. He basically draws straight with crooked lines. And then point number three, God doesn't change. He is independent. He is the absolute first being. Whatever is changed is changed by another, which is prior to itself. To being that he is the first being, always it has been, always is, not composite of parts, he's simple. Then there is no prior to him. He is the first being, so he's independent of us, of anything else. He is self-sufficient. He's perfect. What is perfect by definition does not add to perfection or decline in its perfection. Otherwise, he would not be the most perfect by perfect's definition. We all grew up understanding that God is perfect. And yet the ability to change would actually tell us that, well, there, he wasn't exactly perfect. He needed to improve. He needed to learn. He had to adapt to certain circumstances. So that's not perfect. Perfection is perfection. It cannot be approved upon and it cannot decline because it is the state of perfection. That is by definition. So God is perfect. So this theology of him, his adaptability and being able to change is nonsense. He is simple, not composed of parts or someone who would have to add to him that which was added. Therefore, if not simple, changeable and therefore corruptible. If he is changeable, if there are things that can be added, if he has to continuously adapt and grow, that he is corruptible, that the old was corruptible and had to, had to adapt and grow. Again, I feel like I'm saying this over and over again, but maybe this is important. He's perfect, independent, simplistic, true, the essence of life itself. He is life. He is truth. He is righteousness, justice, mercy, grace, love, wrath, all of it. God, he is who he is. As he told Moses, I am that I am. He doesn't change. 
Numbers chapter 23, verse 19 reads, God is not man that he should lie or son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? That is a question that's almost rhetorical because if he has said, then he will do. God keeps his promises. If he has spoken, it will be fulfilled because he has spoken it. He is not a man, so he he, he can't lie. He can't lie because he is truly good. He is goodness. He is necessary. He's necessarily good. And so he can't lie. He's not a man. Nor a man who has to change his mind about things. By, by making a mistake or having to learn or adapt and so on and so forth. That's in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So no change. He remains who he is, who he has always been. If you study theology enough, if you study uh, scripture you know that Jesus was prophesied from the very beginning in Genesis. He was with God, and he was the very reason through the means of how the earth and the world was created. He is the word of God. Genesis 1, 1 tells us this, and then if you go to John chapter 1, verse 1, you see that the word of God became flesh. So he has always been in eternity with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so he is the same yesterday, he's the same today, and will be the same forever as those scriptures teach us. Psalms chapter uh, 102, verse 26 through 27, they will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You, God, will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same and your years have no end. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. He doesn't change. Doesn't change. And furthermore, James chapter 1, verse 17 reads, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, that is God, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Not even a shadow. Not even a shadow. All that we have is by the Father of lights, the one who created the lights, the natural lights, and all the lights that we know can conceive of, the moon, the sun, the stars, and then the spiritual light, the light of illumination of the Holy Spirit, regeneration, scripture. All these gifts come from above. And, and, and how do we know that those are good gifts and they're, they're good and will remain good? Because there's no variation or shadow due to change. Because that's the God we serve. So in this next segment, I would like to explore the practicality of this theology and why it is important we get it right. So let's turn to hope. Let's turn to Christ. One, I'll give you a couple points for his glorification. 
This is why this is important. This is why getting this theology is so important and making sure that we understand that God doesn't change and he isn't adapting to circumstances because of, of our chief end, which is to glorify the Lord, to glorify God. God is unchanging in his glory. So it is then to be glorified because he is good, love, righteous, and steadfast. Because he forgives and grants you grace, you can trust him with all your being. Could you imagine if you in a moment's notice truly realized that you couldn't trust God, you know, like really couldn't trust him? Then all that goodness and grace and love and mercy, that can go away. But thank God that he is incorruptible. And so therefore we glorify him. Because all that just points to the fact that because of his true goodness and grace, he didn't have to show that to you and I. And yet he does. And so this is why it's important. Because one, the Lord is about his glory. So not only does this wreak havoc on us as a, as a people, as a finite creature group that will then wreak havoc on each other because if God can change and the love of neighbor can change and before you know it, we all live to ourselves, right? Which is what this world is turning into anyway. It wreaks havoc, not just on us, but the fact is it is a, a blatant, blasphemous disrespect to God. And we'd be careful walking in that direction if you are a Christian. Number two, no trust in anything of this world. This is why it's important not to get this wrong. Because everything here is fleeting and corruptible, no matter how beautiful they seem to us today. Look, I'm all for building businesses. That sounds fun and intriguing. I'm all for building wealth. That is something every person wants. You know, we, we don't want to be suffering under the bondage of debt, under the bondage of a pay, paycheck to paycheck lifestyle. Now, that doesn't mean everyone's meant to be rich. That doesn't mean God isn't glorified with the life that you're living right now. I do believe that stewardship and management of money is for everyone. And you don't necessarily need a lot to be right and well taken care of. God will take care of his own. But what I'm saying is we put our, our hope into these things, self-personal development, you know, physical fitness. I, I'm a physical fitness guy, all right? I'm all about that. But all that, I can't put my hope in. All things are corruptible on this earth. And so with the theology, right, knowing that God does in fact not change, he, he remains the same, he's not adapting, he is immutable. And then it makes me realize I should not put hope into these things because all things here do change. All things here do adapt because they're not perfect. And so they need to adapt. I need to adapt. You need to adapt. So I can't place my hope in you and you can't place your hope in me. It'd be foolishness to do so. Man, it has failed man. I have failed people. People have failed me. And, the, and it will continue until we go back to the Lord. So we can't put our trust in anything. All things will pass away. Republics, kingdoms, cities, kings, dictators, and presidents, they don't last forever. They might think they're God, some of them, but they're not. They're going to die one day and they're going to face the true God. Republics, kingdoms, hey, I'm all about America first. We are a constitutional republic. I like it. But even now I can see that this could potentially be gone away in the next couple generations, century, who knows? 
the way things are progressing. But God knows. I don't, but he knows. Money, wealth, health, honor, fame will all fade and and change. So we don't put our final hope in that. That's why this is important. That's why we need to get this doctrine and theology right about God, who he is and what he doesn't do. He does not change. He remains the same. He doesn't adapt. All right. Another reason, number three, would be for hatred of sin. God hates sin and is the avenger of all sin. His justice and wrath against sin will never cease and will by no means turn a blind eye to it. He is immutable. So because he doesn't change, it means he still has wrath and hatred towards sin. That doesn't change. And so by no means can a person live sinful lives, walking in darkness, claiming they're Christian, and not incur the judgment and and wrath of God on their lives. God will by no means turn a blind eye to the wicked. All will come under the accountability of the King of Kings on that last day. So we do this and we keep our that theology in right standing because of God's hatred towards sin, knowing that we were once sinners saved by grace. And that's another thing. In Christ, we are forgiven and free because it pleased God to crush his son who bore the weight of our sins on that cross. Think about that for a second. He didn't even spare his own son when the sin was upon him on that cross. Jesus took the full weight of it. And praise God, he rose again and we are set free from that. We are free and free indeed. So praise God. God is righteous and just and holy and will remain so for eternity. So this is why we get this right. Okay. Now, this is a moment of hope because, again, all that what we believe apparently isn't true. Because if you really think about what you believe, it doesn't give you a lot of hope at all. But what I'm telling you here is there is hope because he has provided a way. He has taken care of the sin issues and has uh, given us a way of redemption through Christ. We know that not to trust anything in this world, but guess what? Our hearts are not attached to this world. If you're truly Christian, they're on Christ and Christ alone. And so your life is lived in the lens of pleasing King Jesus. That's, that's freedom. That's freedom from, from what this world can never offer. And you know that. Remember that. Another point, number four, for confidence and comfort in any circumstance. This is where I'm going to leave off here in this uh, episode. Psalms chapter 73, verse 26 reads, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In all things, all things, God is unmoved and unchanged. But what's beautiful is that in our distress of our eternal security even, right? We have hope in Christ as revealed in scripture, the word of God, which does not return void. Because we have the word of God, because the word of God is the word of God, whenever we doubt our own eternal security, when we wrestle with the idea that God actually has forgiven us and loved us and has brought us from death into life. Because how many Christians have ever struggled with that? Plenty. I have. Wondering, am I self-deceived? Do I really have grace? Am I really a Christian? Because 
I don't want to be self-deceived. But you know it's possible. You know that you're capable of it because of your wretchedness, because of sin. And because of that, you are in that, that place of battle. If God's word wasn't with us, we'd be left to lies of Satan and our flesh without the truth. But God has provided the truth for us. And the fact is, in this truth, he's also confirmed to us that he will not change his mind about the grace he has given us. He does not adapt to our attitudes and ways because otherwise, if he were you or me, we would become cosmic tyrants. Who could stop us? But thank God that he is truly good and righteous and just. Thank God. Praise God because we have a God who has shown us that he is just and the justifier through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank God for that. So, with that immutability, we can go through that 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 question of eternal security and doubt, and then knowing that actually, though, God told us this is what what it is. If we place our faith in Christ, we are indeed saved. We are free. We pass from death to life. We are no longer the same. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. That is a truth that doesn't change. It gives you hope. Another thing would be is during tyranny, persecution a totalitarian government takeover. And what better than for that believer to know that God is still on the throne exacting justice and wrath against sin and unrighteous rulers. That was one of my biggest struggles in 2020 up until now, where I was thinking to myself, are we literally going to go through a time of tyranny and are we going through a very, very dark period in this world? where our children's children will be under a one-world totalitarian government. I know that sounds crazy, but it's not a conspiracy anymore. It's pretty much in the open. But I have hope. I have a lot of hope. And I'm comforted because I know what God has told us to do. I know what his word teaches. I know that he is still on the throne. I know that he is still going to exact justice and wrath against un righteousness and wickedness and wicked rulers that's coming and i have no doubts about that so we also have hope during sickness during the the terminal illnesses of our lives war and loss god is immutable in love grace and mercy and so we have hope during that time that is our god i pray this has served you well Consider sharing this with someone you believe could be helped by this. Please subscribe to the show and leave an honest rating and review so that I can better serve you through this content and the algorithm tech lords can push this out to the other people looking for truth and hope in a world gone mad. But until next time, remember that in the midst of chaos, Christ is there. God bless you.